0: Today we want to preach on, we are called to pray. We have selected, or I have selected Jonah as a book to study for the Senior Pastor Series. And this is the second week of chapter 2. Jonah's prayer is the most neglected part of the narrative. We remember that Jonah ran away. And we are curious about the big fish. We rejoice at the repentance of Nineveh. And we lament at the lack of compassion of Jonah, but we don't always remember that Jonah prayed. For some of us, prayer is like a second language. We have different degrees of proficiency with the second language. It ranges from barely surviving to acceptable and to excellent. For me as an English speaker, as a second language, I think I'm somewhere between surviving and acceptable. Somewhere there, I survived, but not quite there. Cute grammars, didn't get the right words, and you've been so forgiving. Thank you so much. So in some ways, prayer is like that. We stumble along in our prayer life according to our proficiency. Some pray, many don't. But for many, prayer is more like a foreign language. We have no idea what to say, or even how to begin a conversation, because we don't know enough to even carry a conversation. It's a foreign language. And in many ways, prayer is like that for some of you. We don't pray enough. We don't pray because we don't know enough to pray. And of course, unless you are in the belly of a fish like Jonah, and he will pray, and you and I will pray. So today, we want to learn from Jonah's prayer, and see what there are some lessons that we can draw as we enrich our prayer life. So Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, let me read to you, and you can follow along on the PowerPoint or your electronic devices. But when we read Jonah chapter 2, we must begin with verse 17 of chapter 1. That's how the whole passage are connected together. Okay, let me read. And the Lord appointed the great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answers me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon you, holy temple. The water closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and, your prayer, and my prayer comes, came to you into your holy temple." And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, before we go to the first point, we must put the fish to rest. Lest the fish becomes the main character. You see, God and Jonah are the main character of the book of Jonah. But that large fish often gets our attention and gets our curiosity. Tons of research and papers have been presented and done to find the identity of that fish. Is that the whale? Is that the sea monster? We have tried to prove the feasibility of a man swallowed up by great fish and see whether it is even possible. Can he breathe? What about the digestive juice? Would it be, you know, digested? And we try to find stories of human beings who survived in the belly of some big fish. All with the hope to make sense out of that chapter. But you know what, brothers and sisters? We only need to believe in miracles. We only need to believe in miracles. Miracles. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, Jesus said to those who asked for a miracle and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, a miraculous sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. Jesus considers the swallowing up and the spitting out of Jonah is a miracle. So that settles it. And with that, now we can come to chapter 2 on prayer and we can focus on prayer i want to say up front that all the prayers in chapter 2 are taken from the book of psalms it is as if jonah was praying psalms all across jonah is using god's word to speak to god because prayer is god's word and we can learn much from the psalms how to pray so with that let's go to the first point a prayer of distress in verses 1 and 2, he says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of fish, saying, Call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah was running away from God in chapter 1. And for the first time, he's willing to talk directly to God. He refused to talk to God. He refused to see God. But now he's willing to talk. He's willing to see God face to face. The protesting prophet in chapter 1 is now turning into a man of prayer in chapter 2. Jonah is at his best when he prays. Have you noticed that? He was calm. He was reasonable. He was grateful. He was at his best. And you will be at your best when you pray, even if you argue with God. When you are in a heated situation, just say, let's pray. And most likely, the good behavior will come back. That's the power of prayer. Because when you pray, you encounter God. And Jonah was at his best when he encounters God. You know, commentators have highlighted a few bursting words in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, the belly of the fish, it is the same word that means the womb of a fish. In verse 2, I call out to the Lord out of my distress. The distress means the labor of childbirth. Same word. And then towards the end of verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That belly, again, it means the womb of Sheol, the place where dead people go. What does that mean, to choose those words to express Jonah being confined in the belly of the fish? The idea is, though Jonah is as good as dead in the womb of the fish, this is the place where he will experience a rebirth. It is a turning around. It is not penalty. It is not punishment. It is not discipline. It is God's mercy and God's grace to confine his servant in the belly of the fish to save him, to turn things around for him. But you know what? The most significant thing about Jonah's prayer is that God answers prayer. God answers prayer in verse 2. He says, Out of my distress, He answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my cry. You heard my voice. God answers prayer. The fact that God answers prayer is the greatest motivation for us to want to pray. If God refused to answer, if there is no answer from God, then we just quit praying. For what? There's no purpose. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, it recorded a showdown between Elijah and the 450 false prophets of Baal, that whoever calls upon his God to send down fire from heaven to burn the animal sacrificed laid on the altar is the true God. So the prophets of Baal went first by praying to the idol Baal. And this is how Elijah ridiculed the false prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, verses 25 to 29 in the next slide. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, 450 strong, and call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. Okay, it is a test now. Verse 26. And they took the bull and that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But you know what? There, there was no voice. No one answered. And they try harder. And they limp around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So they try harder. Verse 28 And they cry aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And at midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Baal, the idol, ignores the prophet's call because it's just an idol. There's no answer. We pray because God answers prayer. Not always the answer you desire, but He always answered according to His will. Jeremiah 29 verse 12, in the next slide. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. I will hear. I hope this is enough incentives for you to pray more. I hope the fact that God ad- hears our prayer, and answers according to His way, to His will, and His will is always higher than you and mine, that will be the incentive for you to say, I want to pray because God hears. God hears my prayer. You know, I like the way Eugene Peterson says about verse 17 when he says that the great fish swallowed Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and he prayed to the Lord. Eugene Peterson says, well, To pray, you need two things. One, you need time. Three days and three nights, you need time. Secondly, you need a confined place, the belly of the fish. You need time, and you need a confined place to pray. You know, when I say belly fish for sashimi lovers, I'm not saying about the otoro, the fish belly, the tuna belly. I'm talking about a cramped space. And I know that as Christians, God is omnipresent, right? So we are not confined to a specific location to pray. But to pray, you must be able to put your thoughts and actions under control so that you can focus in prayer. Time and a space. Confined space for us to pray. So in the belly of a fish that cramped space, that confined space, that, uh, that place set aside for prayer, we clear our mind, we focus on God, and allow transformations to happen. You know, Eugene Peterson gave a few suggestions, a few illustrations. He says, brokenness is something like that. In brokenness, you are confined to an experience, and that experience changed you. Transformation happens. A heart attack that didn't kill you. An accident that you recover from, you know, a dramatic happenings in your life that somehow you recover and say, Wow, well, it could have been me. Let me change my lifestyle. Let me reset my priority. Let me be right with God. Let me come back to church. Let me join a small group. Let me do what I should be doing as a man, as a husband, as a Christian. Brokenness has that effect, it's a confined experience for you. Secondly, imprisonment. Imprisonment is some kind of confinement. And many, many people are blessed by that, and they are changed, and they change others as well. He mentioned about Paul. Paul in imprisonment gave four epistles for us that is put in the Bible. John, confined to the island of Patmos, have a chance to see revelation from God about the future, eschatology. Others like Martin Luther King Jr., Alexander Solzhenitsyn against a totalitarian regime, Nelson Mandela against the white rules in apartheid, Muhammad Gandhi, who, nonviolence tactic, rallied the group to demonstrate against the British Empire to call for independence and finally brought that empire to her knees, and they gained their independence. They were all in prison. It was in that imprisonment, something happened, transformed. They were able to do something great. These are the conditions that make transformation possible. You know, sometimes you look at your life and my life, Change is so hard, right? Everybody, including me, we all resist change. It's uncomfortable. Basically, by nature, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We, we feel pretty good staying with it, within our comfort zone, the kind of lifestyle that we want, the kind of food, the kind of people, the kind of interactions that we all like. To get out of that takes a lot. It takes a lot more. It takes another higher, more noble value for us to be willing to get out of that. And I wonder sometimes whether that confinement, whether that belly of the fish is something that we need. Though we say, please, don't let it follow me. Please, God, spare me from this. But oftentimes, as the Lord shapes His servant, as the Lord shapes His children, maybe that's what what, we're we. Uh, what we need for us to get out of the comfort zone and to be able to deal with some issues of life. You know, why is prayer missing from Christian church? Partly because it has evolved into a 911 call. For many, prayer is basically a 911 call to God. When there is no emergency, there is no prayer, right? But there is so much more to prayer, just like there's so much more to parental relationships than merely providing food and shelter for children. There's traditions to be set, histories to be recorded, memories to be made, legacies to be passed on, values to be made, expectations to be given, forgiveness to be extended, nurturing to be given, modeling to be witnessed supports blessings, has parental relationships. All part of that. It's a package. And to reduce that to only food and shelter, you so much impoverish what it means to be a family, to be parents and children relationships. In the same way, when you reduce prayer to only 911 call, you also spiritually impoverish what it means to pray to God. When we reduce prayer to an emergency service only, we have, we have neglected, we have missed so much in our Christian life. So today I want to challenge you, church, that when you pray, expand your prayer life beyond a 911 call. And we, we do need to pray to God in 911 situation but learn how to thank God as well, not just help me, save me. How to worship God in your prayer. How to listen to God, not just talking all the time. It's a two-way communications. How to be with God, just spend time with God in prayer. How to enjoy God. We don't always remember that Westminster Catholicism What is the chief goal of men and women today? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it begins today. In prayer, enjoy God. And surrender to God. And be aligned with God. Would you do that? To expand your prayer life in that way. Secondly, it is a prayer of deliverance. Verses 3 to 6. See, Yahweh is not only a sovereign God. He appoints a storm. He appointed fish to come and save Jonah to achieve his purpose. But he's also a merciful God. He desires to forgive more than to punish. And he responds to Jonah's plea. You know, notice how Jonah's relationship with God has changed for the better. When he prayed, he began by using the third person to address God in verse 1. Says, pray to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Says, I call out to the Lord out of my distress and he answers me. Third person pronoun. And then for the rest of the whole chapter, Verse 2 and all the way to verse 10, he changed it to the second person pronoun, you. It's you and me. It's not him or he or his. It's you and me. That's a much personal, much private, and much intimate relationship. That's what prayer does to you. When you pray, your relationship with God gets personal, private, and intimate. You know, I often hear Christians say, you know, I'm not growing strong with the Lord. I can't feel Him. I can't sense Him. I can't feel the presence of God. I don't feel the richness of God. Just pray. Begin by prayer. Because when you pray and say, God, I, God, you, that second person pronoun, just bring you and God so much closer together as we continue to walk with the Lord. But Jonah's condition was rather dire in verses 3 to 6. He continues his downward spiral. Remember last week in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 3, he went down to Joppa, and then he went down into the ship. Chapter 1, verse 5, Jonah gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And now in chapter 2, he calls from the belly of the shield, And he is cast into the deep in verse 3. He is banished from the temple, the presence of God, in verse 4. The deep surrounded him, in verse 5. He was sinking deeper and deeper. And verse 6, he went down to the root of the mountain. That's the ocean floor. That's the bottom. But thank God in verse 6, it says, But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. God brought him out from the pit. In verse 3, Jonah was breathless. He lacked air, water was everywhere. But in verse 3, he says, you cast me into the deep. It was God, you, and not the sellers. The sellers were innocent. They actually, God used the hands of sellers to hurl him into the storm, into the sea, into the ocean. It was God. And in verse 4, it is the first indication that Jonah regretted that he ran away from the presence of God, and that's the turning point. Verse 4 says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, from your presence. He ran away from the presence of God. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's the turning point. He finds hope when he turns and looks to God to look at the temple in seeking God's mercy, he finds hope. If you remember Numbers 21, the Lord sent fiery serpents to bit the Israelites who defied and disobeyed Him, and finally they repented, and Moses followed God's remedy in Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, as a way to bring a resolution. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and lived. And that's why many hospital, medical institutions have that sign, a pole with a snake. that's where it comes from. In the same way, Jonah looked, he looked back at the temple, the presence of God, and he finds hope in there. Verse 5 says he was drowning and trapped, surrounded by water, near the bottom of the sea, with seaweeds wrapped around his head. He was in deep trouble. And verse 6, he was down to the bottom of the sea, imprisoned in a grave forever. He thought that is the end, but the Lord lifted him up from the pit. When you pray, prayer opens a new dimension. You and I have a certain dimension, a human dimension that we can see. Maybe it comes from your experiences, maybe from your knowledge, your training, and maybe from your wisdom. You have a certain dimension about things. But when you pray, it opens up God's dimension in your lives. At a crossroad, you wonder which way to go. From your human dimension, you only see and calculate and, and, and make analysis to see pros and cons and try to make a decision, but when you pray, God opens up His will for your life. God opens up global plans of God and say, you know what, you should reconsider this. When you are in a situation that you wonder, should I quit or should I go on? And from all the advantages and disadvantages that you have gleaned from life experiences and other wisdom from other friends and Probably this is the best route of actions, but when you pray, He opens up another dimension with the vision of God, with the mission of God, with the call of God in your life, and that change your decision. Prayer opens up a new dimension that we don't have when we only depend on our analytical power, our ability, and others' wisdom that feed into that decision. But there's one condition. You just have to be honest with yourself. You just have to be honest with yourself. When you are not honest with yourself, that's when we rely on ourselves. That's when we depend on our ability. When you are honest with ourselves, you'll be like the psalmist sum, in Psalm 131. In Psalm 131, in the next slide, verses 1 and 3, it says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, That's as honest as the psalmist can be. He said, I was arrogant. I was prideful. But now my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I learned my lessons. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I know my limits now. I know my boundary. There's things that I can do, and by your grace I can do it, but things that I can't do, I have to admit that and say I will stay within the boundary and allow God to be God and allow me to be me, to be a man of God. And only then, verse 2 can come to you. Verse 2 says, I, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with its mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. That I'm not craving for milk anymore because I'm weaned. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready ready for, for some solid food for me to grow faster and not just depending on the milk. I am weaned. I am ready. I can move on. And only then, verse three, O Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. There is a path ahead of you that you can see hopeful ways hopeful future that you can walk in it when you pray. Prayer opens a new dimension. That's God's dimension. But you must be honest with yourself. And finally, it is a prayer of devotion. Verses 7 to 10. In verse 7, Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah was close to death before he turns to God. He was fainting and almost passed out, and then he said, it's time to return to God and to remember the Lord. You know, to remember the Lord is the foremost responsibility of Israel. They have been called to remember the Lord. They have to observe festivals every year. They have to go to the temple. They have to offer sacrifices. They have to observe Sabbath and Ten Commandments and and food laws and, and cleanliness laws. All this are there to remind them that God is God and you are you and we have a covenant. If you keep your covenant, my blessing will come to you. But if you do not keep my covenant, unfortunately, you'll be out of my protection and the enemies will come and swarm the whole place. And the promised land that I have given you will be taken away by other people. And for you and me today, it means to cultivate an ongoing and lively relationship with God. And you know what? And we are responsible for it. To remember the Lord. Jonah's prayer is pointing to the presence of God in the temple. He says, I prayer come to you into your holy temple. To say that I face, I look at the holy temple is as good as saying, I am seeking the presence of God. And why was Jonah not choosing a more direct language? and has to use a more symbolic kind of a way to say that I looked at the temple to see God's presence and to seek God's mercy. I think more than just an abstract language, in a certain direction that I'm looking at, Jonah was seeking the community of faith. Because temple is the place where God's people gather together to worship and to pray. It is in that place that we find Fellow pilgrims. It is in that place that we find sojourners to walk together and we find strength in each other as we go together. He was looking for a community of faith when he prays and turned to the temple. And you remember for the past two years when we go through the COVID nineteen and we were we were offering online worship, and you remember how it was. Initially it was exciting. After one month, then we have breakfast and worship. After one, another month, we just go halfway and then we just stop. You know, we just come and report. Here, I show up. And then, you know, we moved on. You know, that's worship. And, and looking at that, pastors, you know, we look at that and say, no, 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 no. That's not worship. That's a reporting. That's a TV show. We must offer worship for our people to sustain our faith. So we began outdoor worship. After worship, we came back. Initially, hardly 20 cars and 30 cars. And then later on, we increased to 80 and 90 and 100, 200 people show up. But after a while, you know, the same thing happened. It was quarantine or isolation, and and there was six feet distancing and every car parked with an empty space between. So we came to look for people. We came to look for friends. We came to look for friendships and look for fellowships. And God is not the priority. After six months, we said, no, 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 it's not going to work. Let's bring them into, into the building. Let's come together. Let's gather together as a church to worship. And that's when we hear each other, that's when we hear the preachers seeing face to face with the preachers. That's when that impact of worship begins to captivate our hearts. In the same way, Jonah was seeking community. And you need community, and then they need community. And unfortunately, sometimes even sitting in the midst of a community doesn't mean that you are connected. That's why we have next step. You need to be connected just to show up in the worship and to hear a sermon or to sing a few songs and then leave this place is not enough. It is part of worship, but Christian life is more than that. You need to connect. You need a community. You need a small group and to grow together. And that's when we become stronger. Verse 8, says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Who was he pointing to those who regard the vain idols. Most likely, the closest context is that he was pointing to the sellers who call upon their idols to save them from the raging storm, but to no avail until God shows up and calms the sea for them. Then they begin to worship God, Jehovah. That's the closest contact that we can see. He was referring to the sellers. But you know what? Commentators believe that it's more than that. He was also referring to the readers of the book of Jonah. That's you and me today as we read and hear the preaching and sermon on on, on the book of Jonah. That we need to turn away from our idols of the hearts and to embrace the steadfast love of the Lord. Think about this. Jonah was saying to exchange the steadfast love of the Lord for vain idols is a bad transaction. It's a bad decision. And he just gone through that personally. So he spoke from a personal experience. He just ran away from the presence of God. And he's saying, it's not worth it. Return to God. Look to the temple for the mercies of God. Come back to him. So in verse 9, he came back. Verse 9, he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, shall I have what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And here it shows Jonah's devotion and commitment to the Lord. Jonah is willing to return to his prophetic post at the temple to offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God and to keep his vow, just like the sellers who worship God when they saw the power of God over nature calming the sea and they offer sacrifice, they vow, they keep their vow and they worship God. In the same way, Jonah did that as well. And they say salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation comes only from God and no one else. Including the salvation for the Ninevites, that he was initially called, but he disobeyed. Now in acknowledgement of God's salvation, he's basically saying, I need to obey. I need to go to Nineveh as the Lord instructed. In the same way, FCBC Warner, our job is to obey where God calls us to reach out to. Jonah is ready to obey God and to preach to the Ninevites. And finally, in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish obeyed. God spoke to prophets and Jonah. Jonah disobeyed, but God spoke to the fish. Fish obeyed. Have you noticed that the nature is much more obedient to God, to the Creator, than human? God spoke to the donkey and said, speak to Balaam. The donkey spoke up. God spoke to sea, ocean, to the storm. It calmed down. But God spoke to Jonah. Jonah said no. The fish obeyed and spit up Jonah to the dry land. And it's about time because Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights is causing indigestions for the fish. It's time to spit him out. Today, I just want to remind you, church, as we come into a new church year, that God puts us in confinement that we may pray and submit to God's will for our lives. That's the message today in the next light. God puts us in confinement that we may pray and submit to God's will for our lives. Of course, Jonah foreshadows Jesus. Because Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane to submit to the will of God to go to the cross, to die on our behalf, that through Christ's substitutional death, our sins will be forgiven and we will be reconciled with God the Father. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Even as you read Jonah, We are looking forward, 800 years later, Jesus will be born. And he is the true Jonah. He's a true and better Jonah. So application today is very simple and very straightforward. Pray, people, pray. We We are not known to be a praying church. Most churches are not known to be a praying church. We are probably known to be a more Bible church, preaching church church who really emphasizes in God's Word. We're probably known for a church who really built a very strong children ministry and youth ministry. We're probably considered as a church who has a heart for missions and we support missionaries. We really encourage our people to missions. And it appears in a vision statement as well that we want to be a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. There's a missional aspect in our vision statement. But definitely, we are not a praying church. Most churches are not. So don't feel bad about that. But we need to pray. We need to pray as Jonah prayed. We need to pray for our city. God puts us in L.A., county. Pray for L.A. Pray for our community. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for God to open hearts. Pray for God to use our church to be a blessing to our neighbors. Pray for our church to obey God's call to be a vibrant church of disciple-makers. We don't want to be a, a church of consumers. That's what we try to shy away from. We ask God to move us to be a vibrant church of disciple-makers. And to do that, you have to pray. I have to pray. It is in prayer that we will submit, we will surrender, and we'll be aligned with God's purpose and God's will. We need to pray for ourselves. Pray for ourselves to obey and to surrender our will to God's will. If you don't pray, it's not likely that you will change or I will change. It's hard. It's too hard. Unless something drastic happened or imprisonment, like what Eugene Peterson says. Remember, when you pray, you will leave a footprint in your life. God will leave a footprint in your life. There's always a footprint of prayer when you pray. I don't know how many of you have gone to a well watching trip. Um, every year, there's migration of the well going to the South Pole, and then another season will go up back to the North Pole. And, and there are many charter boats that you can have and go out there. And the captain we'll be looking for something called well's footprint, remember? He will tell you that, well, when there is a well under the water, there is a flat surface, even though it's ocean, it will be a flat surface, pretty much like a round area. That's where the well leaves the footprint for us to know that there is a well underneath that. Because the well, when the well dives, the upthrust of its horizontal tail will drive water toward the surface to cause it to be flat. When you pray, you will leave, leave a footprint, a footprint of God. It's a sign that God is working in your life. It is a sign that God is actively engaging your life. It is a sign that God is invading into your territory and say, surrender. And say, be aligned with me when you pray. That footprint is what we need in our lives in this new season to go together. So there's only one application. Pray, pray. Many many of you know that Queen Elizabeth II just passed away a few days ago. She was 96. In 1952, she delivered the first Christmas address right before her coronation in 1953. She requested prayer for her upcoming coronation. She said, I want to ask you all, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day, she said, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that... I may faithfully serve him, God, and you all the days of my life. After 70 years as the figurehead, as a queen of the British Empire, she held the royal family together. And you remember how tough it was. She survived political, social, personal scandals. And you remember some of that. She survived economic crisis. She kept her characters and integrity. And she made it through faith in God and prayers. Many of the monarchies in the European continents, because there's a tradition of Christian as a state church, supported by the government. They claim to be Christians, but many are by names only. But Queen Elizabeth II is a true follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who reads Bible, who prays to God, who seeks wisdom from God, and spoke openly about her faith in God. In the same way, brothers and sisters, in this new church year, we need prayer to build a vibrant church, and you need prayer to build a vibrant discipleship life for us to grow together. So only one action today. Pray. Go and pray. Seek God. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this reminder. Even though prayer in the book of Jonah is often neglected, but Lord, today, we want to bring a highlight to that and to remind ourselves to pray together as a church, because there's not enough planning can really bring us into a vibrant church. There's not enough opportunities that we can seek to make us a vibrant church of disciple makers of Jesus Christ. We need prayer. We need prayer to transform our lives. We need prayer to set directions that comes from God. We need prayer to bring and unite the church together. We need prayer to come and seek God together. So may you instill in our hearts a desire, a calling to pray, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our church, and to pray for God's work through our church, to the community, and to be a blessing of them. Help us to pray, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.